Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Sports Plus Podcast for the week of April 19th. I'm Corey Miller, here with Andy Muller, Frank Cusimano, and Hannah Yates. We're going to talk Cardinals first here today. It's been a, I'm going to call it bipolar start for the Birds. Some nights they come out, they're blasting opponents to smithereens. We're recording this on Monday in the middle of a game, and they already have what they already have four solo home runs, I think, so far. Um, and then sometimes they come out and get completely dominated. Uh, we're still talking about the same things: inconsistent offense, pitching that can't go deep. Frank, which is the biggest concern: the inconsistent offense or these starters just not getting innings? Yeah, I guess it's, it's got to be the starters because that's what you're banking on. You know, best case scenario for the Cardinals this year is they're going to have an average offense. So with an average offense, you have to have an above average starting staff. I mean, that's was, that was the case last year, or that's been the case uh, for the last four or five years. You've out, outpitched them. You've had alternative program. We can't outhit you, but we will outpitch you. Uh, this year with one quality start in 15 games, they haven't done that. So we'll get one tonight, I think, from Jack Flaherty. But the, the, the pitchers, have, you know, it's not sustainable to have a bunch of starters go five innings every game. That bullpen already already taxed for sure. Hannah, one guy not off to a slow start, though. Yadier Molina leading almost every catcher in baseball. Well, he is leading every catcher in baseball in almost every offensive category. Probably not a great sign he's hitting fourth in the lineup right now, to be honest. But still a great start for Yadier. What are you seeing from him? <laughs> yeah, you know, mixed emotions with that. But I think it, it just goes to show everything he's capable of. You keep waiting for that season where you think he's going to slow down. But not only is he behind the plate every single night making that 2,000th appearance, but he's also productive with – multiple homers in games nowadays and that's why he's so high up in the lineup given the Cardinals kind of streaky offense but I think it just goes to show everything about his character and work ethic isn't it so crazy I just watching this game we're recording this on Monday like I said he got hit with a foul tip uh early in the game and hit his hand and they're out looking at him and it just made me think this guy has gone his knock on wood pretty much his entire career without having something that just derails uh, a season with a catcher that seems almost impossible, Andy. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, he's had some in, you know, some. I think he's had actually maybe a broken. He's had a couple, or whatever, he, before. But he had the yeah. he had the painful incident uh, with the oh. foul tip to a couple years ago that could have been really bad. But I, I guess that they they got early. But nothing nothing that could end a career so far. Uh, no, that, that particular injury could have ended a whole lot of other things, but yes, um, but you're, but you're right. He, you know, I, I think of, in my mind, the best catcher of all time, Johnny Bench, who basically quit, you know, quit catching, you know, barely past the age of 30 because his knees couldn't take it anymore. And Yachty is, is lapping him as far as, as far as that goes. And, you know, as far as the, as far as the hitting goes, you know, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm old and, and, and whatever, but, but for, you know, I, I keep thinking, you know, the Cardinals are not going to be a successful team of Yadier Molina as your fifth place hitter or your fourth place hitter. And then he just goes out and, and rakes. So maybe I should just shut up and admire and, you know, and watch him play. From uh, the hot start of Yadi to the exact opposite. And Frank, we've talked about this a lot, but now we've got a sample size. We're 15 games in. Matt Carpenter coming into Monday, hitting 069, two for 29. His spray chart is 
it looks like a joke because he got a butt hit down the left field line that went a couple feet and he has a home run to right field that hit off the foul pole. Those are his two hits. He's hitting the ball hard. Of course, everybody's Mike Schultz citing the advanced analytics and whatnot, keeping him in there, but just how long can they keep him out there? Cause it, the production's not there. Yeah. I, I think that it's odd, even though he's, you know, a second baseman or a third baseman or a first baseman, his playing time is kind of dictated by outfielders because when Harrison Bader and when Tyler O'Neill come back then Tommy Edmond will be a full-time second baseman. And that's when you wonder how many at bats Matt Carpenter can have. So he's got a little window here because O'Neill's coming back soon. Bader probably in a week, he's got a little window to start hitting to, to rationalize his at bats. And if he doesn't, he, he could be buried for a long time. Yeah. You mentioned O'Neill and Bader coming back soon and you know, they're going to, work them back into the lineup. It'll be interesting to see what the lineup looks like. And I, you know, I gave it a couple of weeks before we had some lineup talk, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to start the lineup talk. I think right now I'd have to go Edmund Carl. I don't know why Dylan Carlson is not hitting second right now. I really don't understand it. I get that they want, uh, I didn't think the Cardinals would play this much into the, the new way of thinking of you get Goldschmidt in second and Arenado in third, and that's going to give them 10 more at-bats or whatever a season or however it works out, how the new way of thinking is. But you got to get guys on base in front of them uh, is my way of thinking. So I don't know why Dylan Carlson is not hitting second. Hannah, what's your take on uh, the lineup so far? And who would you like to see in there, maybe in the, the corner outfield spots while, uh, while we're waiting for O'Neill and Bader? Honestly, it's kind of depending on the day. You All of a sudden you see Carp in the infield, you see – Tommy Emden pushed out to right field and he's making these incredible catches, but it, I mean, it just shouldn't be the way that it's going. I think, I mean, based if we go through the lineup, I wrote this down here after kind of seeing what you put, I tried to take a little different approach, but I mean, Edmund Goldie Carlson, I think those are your top three guys there. I put Arenado. Um, and then, and I think it, you have, you have a Molina, but you know, hitting fifth sometimes, but I think it has to be a DeYoung. And then I would go Molina, but it kind of depends on the way of the streaky offense, like I said, and then a Williams, and then I would go with a Dean and then pitcher. Carpenter, ideally not in the lineup, given the way things are going, but I guess it kind of depends on the situation nowadays. Young, if they can't count on Paul DeYoung, the Cardinals are going to have a really long season. And we've been saying that for a while. Frank's said he's the most important guy on the club this year. And that's, uh, that's playing out so far. If he's not at least hitting fifth or sixth and, and – uh, have it providing some offense. The Cardinals are going to have a long year. Let's talk though. Andy Cardinals fluttering around 500 still, uh, but they're being saved so far by the rest of the division with nobody looking that great. People are hopping on the Reds bang, bandwagon way too early, I think. And the Brewers rotation has looked great, but not much else has. Uh, how much can the Cardinals benefit from their division this year? And are we really already seeing that? I think we are. Um, I, you know, you, you didn't mention the Cubs who, I think before the Braves came to town, I think the Cubs scored and actually scored double-digit runs on Saturday. Um, but before that, the Cubs uh, basically had uh, had scored, let's see, eight teams had more runs than the Cubs had hits uh, for the season. So um, obviously I would expect that they would get going, uh, you know, at some point, but I don't see them as being, you know, a threat, uh, you know, at all, or any more of a threat than the other teams in the division. You know, you could look at it as a, as a glass half full, half empty kind of thing. The, 
you know, the half full is, well, you know, the, uh, you know, the Cardinals are struggling, but no one else in the division is really, you know, going out there. But the half empty one is this is the time to make hay and, and, and start creating some space. So, um, I mean, the division is there for the taking. Outside of the division and outside of the Cardinals, we'll move on a little bit. I feel like it's been an incredibly fun start to the rest of the baseball year, and I've been watching a ton of baseball. So let's talk about some non-Cardinals baseball. First, we got to talk about the cream of the crop. The Dodgers look absolutely unbeatable. Uh, they got five number one pitchers in their rotation. Uh, Frank, that series with them and the Padres was an absolute classic. I, uh, I was up at like 2 a.m. the other day when the game was still going off in the West Coast, uh, which is, I think, crazy. Come on. I mean, I get for the West Coast, but this is the best matchup in baseball. You got to make sure more people can see it. Uh, are the Dodgers really unbeatable? Um, I think so. Um, you know, the fact that they became the first team in 100 years to win a championship and then begin the season 11 and 2. Uh, you know, look, the, the Padres have a, a, a boxer's chance because they have some pitching. But every time you look at that Dodger lineup, and you see Mookie Betts, and you see Corey Seager, and you see Justin Turner, who, oh, by the way, is still hitting 400. I mean, it's frightening. It really is. I, uh, I really hope we see that. Obviously, we want to see the Cardinals do well, but I want to see that series in October again because, I mean, it felt like a postseason series, uh, this first one. That Mookie Betts catch to save the game the other day was – awesome uh Andy are you believing in the Padres at all or are the Dodgers gonna have their will well I think they're gonna make it fun uh who is it you know when you see mild-mannered Clayton Kershaw jawing at somebody with the Padres yeah now those two teams it's not quite as intense a rivalry as the Dodgers and the Giants have been historically but I think there's gonna be a little bit of a rivalry there and I think uh I think the Padres are gonna give them a little bit of a push at least at, at least until September you know, because it's basically, you know, they're the precocious team that doesn't know that they're supposed to be, uh, you know, a second class citizen to the Dodgers. So uh, I think they're going to make it fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I would plan on a lot of a uh, lot more 2 a.m., uh, you know, going to bed, Corey. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, let's they hop need, over there. Yeah, go ahead. They Frank. need Tommy Pham, though, to pick it up. Right. Um, he's really had some bad luck in his his batted balls batting average. is just it's crazy how unlucky he's been, but he, I think he's going to be really key to the Padres success because if, if he gets hot and hits like we know he can, that kind of changes the complexity of that team too. I'd still like to see him in a Cardinals lineup and him feeding us sound bites over zoom uh, yeah. for, for nightly shows. That would be nice. Uh, hop Feeding over to the AL. firing. Yeah. Hop over to the AL real quick. There's a lot more storylines. Uh, but I'm going to focus on one that people here in St. Louis might be interested in. The Royals, Hannah, have surprised some people too so far atop the AL Central right now. Are you buying uh, Mike Matheny experience 2.0 there in Kansas City, or is this just a nice little story for now and the, uh, the big bad twins and White Sox are coming for him? Well, I'm wondering how much credit we can give to him. Obviously, management always plays a part, but I think it comes down to consistency. You just look at this team. You have Salvador Perez, who's just been incredible night after night, but pitching's been consistent. They have all of those pieces that are working, and unlike the Cardinals, it's not been super streaky. So can you give some of that credit to the manager? Sure, in certain situations in the game, but I think it's still a small sample size to tell. I tell you, that is a fun team, though. That lineup is 
got some I mean, got some really exciting players. They got some prospects on the way too. They're going to need more pitching to actually do something uh, worthwhile. But right now, the the offense is fun. Frank, it looks like you're getting ready to say something. Well, they had the pride of Parkway South. My friend Jake Brenz on that team who has a sub two ERA, a lefty out of the pen throwing 97 miles an hour. So Mike Matheny's got some weapons there in that pen for a change. So, like I said, maybe it's just me, and we'll see here when I ask this. But I've been watching a lot of baseball. We'll go around. We'll go around the circle here. Who's your favorite team other than other than the Cardinals to watch this year? And who's a player that makes you just absolutely tune in? And I I come up with that because I have a guy that I have to watch every single time he he's uh, he's on TV that I can watch it. Andy, uh, I'll go first to you. Uh, you know what? I, I'm more of a team guy than I am, uh, you know, individual guys. And, you know, for years, I've, I've been intrigued by the Oakland A's and how every year they're just not supposed to be very good and they end up surprising everybody. So that's one team I always try to keep my eye on. And, uh, and the other one, uh, the other team, I like the Twins. Uh, you know, they're, they're just uh, when they can play, uh, you know, the they, you know, they mash the ball and uh, and are a lot of fun, and that's a really competitive competitive division uh, with uh, with the White Sox and the and the Twins. And should the uh, Royals, you know, be able to maintain it, uh, that's going to be uh, you know fun baseball throughout the summer. So I I would go the Twins and the A's. Anna, do you find yourself watching uh, much baseball outside the Cardinals? Well, I think uh, my answers are pretty cliche. Obviously, I've tuned in to watch the Dodgers whenever I can, but I've also honestly had fun watching the Padres. I, I enjoy watching you, Darvish, and I think with Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, back, what did he come off the IL two days ago? I think that'll add. It's just a fun dynamic. I watch him no matter who he plays for. I've watched him over the past few seasons, just his rise, and he's always entertaining on and off the field. Frank, who do you end up watching if you well, go home catch the up? Player the player that I enjoy watching the most is Juan Soto. How a guy that young can be that sophisticated of a hitter. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, all that power and explosion, but it's another to draw your walks and have these 400 on base percentages at the age of 22. That is absolutely insane. And in terms of a team, I, you know, the Padres are the most uh, electrifying to watch because, you know, Machado, Tatis, and then our guy, Fam. So, yeah, I'd love to see the Padres. I don't think they can catch the Dodgers, though. Soto's probably – I like to watch Juan Soto games, and I like to listen to Bob Carpenter do Nationals games. So I find myself watching Nats games whenever they're on. I do that – I don't know. I tune in to watch announcers sometimes. <laughs> if I see, a, like, a White Sox game on because I like Jason Benetti, I'll watch a White Sox game or a Bob Carpenter game or a Mets game with Cohen Hernandez and Ron Darling is always fun. Uh, but this year – if Shohei Otani is featured, I'm watching because you don't know. I mean, he could do literally anything on a baseball diamond. That that first game where he started and started pitching and hit for himself, that was on Sunday Night Baseball. I was glued to the thing. And when he smacked that home run in the first inning, I jumped up because, I mean, you never see anything like that. So I hope he really stays healthy and can pull off the uh, – the two-way gig because uh, it'd be more fun to get guys like that, more guys like that in baseball. Uh, yeah, I, I like watching the Angels too, to be <laughs> they, They're such an interesting team. They've got the best player in baseball. They've got the most intriguing player in baseball. And they've got a guy going for history with Albert Pujols with pretty much every time he comes to the plate. So I like yeah. watching those late West Coast Angels games. Speaking of the best player in baseball, I asked uh, Bob Carpenter that today. 
if he would trade Juan Soto even up for Mike Trout, and he said no. Wow, that is some high praise. I mean, I love me some Juan Soto. Uh, wow, that's that's. I guess if I you're factoring in age, you get four or five yeah. more years of Soto. That's the big key there. Going to be fun watching Soto and Acuna Jr. go against each other in the NL East for a while. Uh, let's move on. Talk some hockey now. Blues are in sort of a holding pattern with no game until Thursday, at least we hope Thursday because of COVID problems with the Colorado Avalanche. And who knows if they're going to play uh, these next couple of games. They're a point out of a playoff spot right now, Hannah, with about 12 or so to go, at least 12 or so on the schedule to go. What's your confidence meter at meter at right now for the Blues if we're going to see postseason hockey? Honestly, I don't. I, I don't even know. Like on a scale of one to ten, I feel like even a six or seven would be very generous at this point. Um, so I would say, I mean, my meter's probably at a six just in terms of confidence. You have no idea if these veteran players are going to show up at each night. You have no idea if Jane Schwartz and David Perron are going to score three goals or none in a game. And then I think defense is obviously a huge issue right now. It's completely different decor than what we had in 2019 for a strong Stanley Cup run. You have a lot of skilled guys not a lot of guys playing physical, um, easy goal scoring. I think it's just, it's, it's tough to tell at this point, but goaltending defense, everything has to be better. Every time I think they're going to break off and go on a little run and make me feel good, uh, it doesn't happen. So <laughs> Andy, if they do climb into a playoff spot, cause they're, they're competing with Arizona right now and Arizona, Arizona doesn't look great either. So it could just be a, both teams play terrible and somebody has to take the spot. Uh, should we expect anything from them or just, okay, you got your playoff spot in a, a weird year with a bunch of injuries. That's as good as it gets. Uh, quite frankly, I'm, I may be even more down than uh, on have them down on the scale than, than Hannah. My confidence level of them is about a four or five uh, simply because it, it just looks like, you know, Alexander Steen was, was he the missing piece here? Since they've since he's left the left the team, they just have no no one there to to light them up. And you know, with all due respect to Ryan O'Reilly, and I I think he's a tremendous leader. He can't do it by himself. But this team just what was the word that uh, Craig Berube used yesterday? Fragile. Uh, it yeah. seems like they have no uh, no self confidence. They you know they get a goal scored against them. And it's like they you know they dig themselves a hole and climb in. So I would say that if the blues get into the playoffs, it would be a, a you know, I, I think they might be able to, to steal around or, you know, maybe two because they will have had to play really well to get to that point. Um, but at, at the way they're going right now, they're sputtering like a, you know, like a sports car that, that, that needs its timing adjusted because they are just <clears throat> lurching down the road. And I don't have a lot of confidence that, that they're going to have a lot of success going down the stretch. I like that analogy. Frank, I want to ask you about this past weekend and the Bobby Plager memorials. Blues do everything well. They do big events well. But everything this weekend just seemed perfect, from the guys who spoke inside the Enterprise Center to the final parade down Market Street. What did you really take away from the celebration of life, uh, one of our all-time personalities? Two things. Right outside the window where I am here at uh, KSDK, I walked outside when the uh, car procession was going by and it got progressively really crowded, like right away. The, the people must have been all been watching on St. Louis But I just saw this elderly couple 
and they brought their old sticks and they were tapping the sticks to the ground like many others were doing. But this old couple was a little bit different because as Bobby Plager's car drove by, you know, the, the tears were just streaming down this 75 year old woman's face. They kind of gave you the impact of what kind of a man Bob Plager was. The other thing was Bob Plager's grandson. Um, I guess he's about 14 or 15. And he said, you know, I, I really will never forget my grandpa when he took me when I was five years old to Hooters for my birthday. <laughs> that was so great. So classic Bob Plager. Did you happen to see the tweet Darren Pang had on the, you know, had today about uh, Plager? He said when all the alumni gathered on the stage, it made him think of uh, that every time Bob Plager would see him or what he was, where'd you get that suit? Build-A-Bear? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Great. All right, that is the horn, and it's time for our final buzzer question this week. In honor of Bobby Plager, one of the most fun, free-spirited St. Louis, St. Louis athletes of our time, he'd be a great choice for this question. But let's say you can't pick Bobby. Which St. Louis sports star, past or present, would you like to spend a night on the town with? Just paint it red, going out to the bar. Who's going to have the most fun? Uh, let me think. Uh, Andy? I bet you got a, a couple of a good ones here. Who, who, who would you want to go out with? Well, let, let's just say that, that I would last maybe 15 minutes uh, with that <laughs> because it would be like, it would be like the bullet train going by and you're hanging on to the rail for dear life, but it would be Marvin Barnes, the old Spanish yeah. St. Louis uh, guy. Um, you know, nothing better than, you know, than the, the stories about him you know, going through McDonald's, getting a bag full of hamburgers and, uh, you know, and then being met at the arena by a bunch of, bunch of kids. And he's, you know, he's passing out the hamburgers to him, but, uh, boy, if you've ever read the, uh, the book about him, uh, things got pretty dangerous with him. So, uh, I'd probably be calling it an early night if I was hanging with Marvin. Anna, who do you think? <laughs> There's literally one name that came to mind, and I think it's, it's the picture of his new haircut is like ingrained in my mind after seeing it on video this past week. But Brett Hole, I think just watching this man in the flesh on a night out, I can't imagine there being anything like it. We clearly got a little preview of that from the Stanley Cup win. Um, but there's been so many experiences, um, just with that whole blues alumni group. I think there's literally nothing like it. All the inside jokes, just I would love to experience that. Well, you guys took the two I was going to take right off the top there. So now I got to think of something else. Uh, Frank, who do you got? Yeah, I think I'd go hockey too. Uh, maybe somebody like uh, Kelly Chase. I think you'd be guaranteed of having a good evening. I don't, I don't know if I could hang with him that long, but uh, yeah, you would have a fun time. I, I think uh, get a couple of the greatest show on turf guys going out in the, in the early 2000s uh, would be pretty fun. This week, Frank talked with Hockey Hall of Famer and Blues legend Chris Pronger for the Sports Plus Spotlight interview. So that's who we have here on the Sports Plus podcast. Here's an extended conversation with Frank and Pronger on his intimidating reputation, how he wants to be remembered, and how he remembers that scary day on the ice in 1998 when his heart skipped a beat. Okay, Chris, you're obviously one of the nicest guys around town, but I'm wondering when you play, were you ever nice to somebody who didn't wear the same uniform? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't like doing that. Where did the mindset come from? Um, you know what? I, 
I think it's in my wired into my DNA. I've always played the same way from a, uh, a young age to uh, all the way up through the NHL. It was, uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, a lot of times people were always asking me why I was such a jerk, why I played the way I did. And it's just the way I played the game hard and uh, uh, competitive and, and wanted to win at all costs. How would you play against a Chris Brown? Uh, well, you try to fight fire with fire usually. Uh, and whenever I played against players that, that played with the same edge and an attitude that I did, uh, you certainly don't want to back down and give an inch and, and make sure that uh, uh, they know they're in for a long night and that you're not going to back down. Obviously, the best thing you ever did was win the Stanley Cup. But I'm wondering, is number two winning the MVP Think about this. In the last half century, there's only been two defensemen to win the MVP, you and Bobby Orr. That's staggering. Yeah, it's certainly high on my list. I would have to probably rate that as number three in my uh, my sports uh, memories. Uh, winning a gold medal with Canada was was certainly high up there. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, I think it's number one. That's something that we've always set as the standard as something that uh, uh, is the pinnacle and the ultimate success uh, that a player can have in the, in the National Hockey League. Who was the one guy you competed against that you thought was equally as competitive or as ornery as Chris Brown? Uh, hmm. Darian Hatcher was probably up there. Um, you know, I think from a... A, a battle perspective, Peter Forsberg, uh, you know, played hard, you know, I think to his detriment uh, at the latter part of his career, he, he had a lot of injuries and uh, a lot of it was probably due to the fact that he, he played a physical brand of hockey. He wasn't as big a, as a lot of the players that he was matched up against. Uh, if you look at myself or Darren Hatcher or players of that ilk, uh, you know, he's going up against some big guys and uh, you know, he's like six, one, 200 pounds. So 210 pounds. So, you know, he's given up a lot of size, but, uh, but I think that's what made him successful as well and made him the player that he was. Because he's basically the same size, plays the same position, has the same hair color. There are all these similarities with you and Colton Pareko. Have you ever tried to work with him or chat with him about taking his game to the next level? You know, I think that's something that he's got to figure out on his own. And, and I know I certainly had to. Uh, you come into the league with expectations and, and uh, a playing style that, that got you here. Uh, you know, I think he's got to feel comfortable in his own skin and feel comfortable with his development path and, and how he plays the game. Uh, he's a pretty nice kid, so I don't know if he's going to have the edge I had. <laughs> that might be wishful thinking. So it's just you got to be born with it. Uh, well, you know, I, I think you've got to have that edge. You've got to have an understanding uh, and, and have that DNA, so to speak, to, to a certain extent, yes, but it can be molded. I know there's a lot of guys that, you know, play junior hockey or college hockey that were goal scorers that turn into physical players and, and uh, quasi-tough guys in the National Hockey League. You, you do what you have to do to play in the, in the league and play the game to the best of your abilities and how you mold and kind of steer your game is, is a, uh, a direct result of, of opportunity and circumstance. We all have regrets in life. And even though you did everything in your career, is the one regret 
not winning the cup here? Because, boy, Chris, you look at that roster. How could you not have won it? Or how could you not have got to the finals? Would that be the one regret? I don't know if it's a regret. I would say it's a disappointment. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, hot, hot goaltending, uh, a lot of luck, a lot of good bounces, uh, and a lot of players playing at the top of their game to go and, and succeed and play at that level for an extended period of time. You play six, seven months trying to get to the playoffs. And then when you're in the playoffs, it's another two months of blood, sweat, and tears to, to finally get that ultimate glory of raising the Stanley cup. And uh, yeah, it, it was disappointing and something when you look back on our, on my career and, you know, I think about the teams that we had and the players we had and um, the coaches and, and, you know, really it, it uh, you know, it's disappointing. You know, you, you, you feel like you left something on the table, uh, but, but you also got to realize that some of the teams we lost to uh, the, the, the Red Wings and their kind of dynasty phase, um, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, the Dallas Stars, uh, you understand that, you know, what it, what it was going to take. And, and I like to think that a lot of those disappointments helped me uh, uh, as, as I got to other teams and we had some success and opportunity. You want to close the deal when you can. What did you take away that short period of time you had with the greatest player of all time, Wayne Gretzky? Well, I think just the way he handled himself on and off the ice, I think, you know, the, the respect that he had amongst his peers and, and amongst those in the league, but also, uh, you know, how he handled the media, how he handled the fanfare, how he handled, uh, you know, requests and all the different things that, you know, he's being pulled in 20 different directions. And I think uh, at, the, at the young age that I was at, uh, being able to kind of, you know, sit back from a distance and kind of see how he managed his day-to-day -day life and see how he managed uh, preparation for, for games, preparation for practice, all those things, you're really kind of able to see, uh, you know, the, the commitment he had and, and to not only play the game, but grow the game and, and get it to the level it's at. The jury is still out on this present Blues team. They may make a fine run in the postseason, but how much do you think they miss Alex Petrangelo? Well, I think they do. I think they miss him in the transition game. You know, I'm sure they miss, miss his leadership. Uh, you know, when you look at that right side, you know, it's hard to say with Pareko out kind of where the team would be at, but you know, when you've got Petrangelo, Pareko, Falk in that order, they're slotted in very well. And you're, you're taking him out. That's Petrangelo, you know, 30, you know, 25, 30 minutes a night. You're going to see a lot of differences in, in how people are playing the game, uh, where they're slotted in, who they're playing against. And, and they're, they're, they're playing against different players that, that maybe they're not used to playing against or playing in situations that they're not used to playing in. Uh, and it's a, it's a large toll to take on uh, this quickly after someone's departure, who's been that important to a franchise. Were you ever on the ice with Craig Berube? <laughs> yeah. Lots of times. <laughs> I always have my head up. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? What were those exchanges like? Uh, well, as you, as you can tell, he's very funny, very witty. Uh, played uh, with a uh, quite a large chip on his shoulder and an edge, uh, and obviously one of the, the toughest guys in the league in, in his era. So uh, you were always on your toes. You always uh, were aware of where uh, Chief was on the ice, and um, you know, at a face-off with a witty co comment or uh, you know a little heads up or a little little slash across the back of the legs, 
you always had to be on your toes and you know that's your spidey senses are, are alert at all times when he was on the ice but you were in a sense not that you needed it but pretty well protected you had so many good enforcers like chase and twist throughout your career yeah no we had uh, <laughs> we had a tough team here for a few years we had uh, as you said twister chaser and we had rudy poshek and uh you know we had a number of uh, we had a we had teams that were not exactly excited to come in and try to play the rough and tumble style of play that maybe they would have somewhere else. So explain this. Mother's Day, 1998, you collapse on the ice with a cardiac arrest issue, but you actually play two days later. How scary was that? And how do you get back on the ice two days later? Yeah, that was a weird one. I really didn't know what was going on. I blocked a shot and it hit me right in the heart, right in between the heartbeats. Uh, and, and it goes to show you how much oxygen is in one, one beat of your heart. Uh, I skipped that one beat and that was all it took for me to kind of collapse on the ice, uh, lack of oxygen running through my system, through my blood. And, uh, it's called commotio cordis. It happens a lot in, in little league baseball when a line drive or, or a pitcher gets hit with a line drive coming back at him in the heart. Uh, a lot of little kids die from it. Fortunately, uh, I didn't. I didn't really realize the magnitude of what had happened uh, after a while. You know, you're in the playoffs, you're kind of immersed in the moment. And, you know, I was in the hospital having the heart monitor on me and realized what was going on and, uh, uh, you know, flew home the next morning, had a heart test done and uh, had a, uh, a heart monitor the rest of the day, went in, went in the next morning, the day of the game. Uh, they gave me the clear bill of health. And uh, I just, I was like, well, <laughs> what else am I going to do? I hate watching. I would much rather be playing. So, uh, you know, made the decision to play. What, what about your mom's reaction when you told her you're going to play two days later? Yeah. You know what I think they, I don't think they were too worried about it. Uh, they were at the game in Detroit. I think they understood the magnitude of, of what happened, why it happened. Um, you know, they were back here in St. Louis and, and, uh, you know, I think when the when the doctor kind of walks you through, uh, is there going to be any damage done if I played? Is there an, a chance, an off chance or a small chance that something may or may not occur that that would be long term or short term? And when the answer comes back, no, it was just a freak occurrence. And, uh, you know, putting a pad over my heart, which now pretty much comes standard on all shoulder pads, uh, really was going to be kind of the the point that, you know, hammer the point home that nothing dangerous or uh, crazy would happen again. And, uh, you know, it set my mind at ease, certainly set their minds at ease. And uh, I don't really think there was going to be too much stopping me from playing. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't your mom always the tough one too and real feisty and that's where you got some of it from? Yeah, she got, she's uh, from Finland. So she's got a little Finnish temper and uh, I think that got passed down to me. <laughs> Okay, I want to ask you about this Blues Alumni Fund. Um, the Blues Alumni community has always done a great job in helping out people in the St. Louis area. Tell me what's going on now. Yeah, so, you know, I think with everything that's gone on with COVID and, and the pandemic and, and obviously small business, uh, we wanted to start a fund that, that would raise awareness and raise money to, to help those that desperately need a little help uh, certainly not going to take the full burden or, or load off, but it's going to help keep businesses alive, help keep them viable. And, and hopefully as we work our way through this, which we seem to be now, 
you know, they're going to be viable businesses and, and people can keep their, uh, keep their businesses, keep their jobs and continue to employ those in the community as well. You had a tough stretch after retirement with the lingering effects of concussions. Are you completely healthy now? Uh, well, I don't know if I'll ever be completely healthy. <laughs> <laughs> 15 surgeries later, I don't think so. But uh, no, I feel good. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's something that you got to manage and, and take care of uh, by proper eating habits and, you know, working out when you can and making sure that uh, you're staying on top of, uh, you know, good rest and recuperation. Could you play a shift right now? You're in great shape. Uh, no, <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> All right. Some quick ones here before we let you go. No hedging. One teammate you've had to protect your family. Uh, Twister. Your wife, Lauren's knowledge of hockey on a one to 10. Uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> favorite restaurant, favorite entree in St. Louis. Ooh, uh, I'll go Paul Mano's uh, lamb. Let's say you're 22 right now and you could be the best golfer for the next 10 years or the best hockey player for the next 10 years. What do you choose? Golf. Much What's easier on best? the body. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. What is, your, uh, what is your best round for 18 holes? Uh, 71. You were once traded for a very popular forward, Brendan Shanahan. What's the nastiest thing Mike Keenan said to you after one of your bad games early in St. Louis? <laughs> uh, I could trade you to Ottawa right now if you really want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like building up some confidence in his young defense. Yeah. Okay. Building the ultimate hockey player right now, whose shot do you take? Whose shot? Ooh. Uh, Let's go hockey history. Hockey Leon, history. In hockey history, Brett Hall, yeah. right now, uh, I would probably take Leon Dreisaitl or Ovi. Hockey history, whose toughness do you take? Toughness. Gordy Howe. Whose skating ability do you take? Connor McDavid. Whose mind do you take? Wayne Gretzky. I like that. Um, you were not a popular guy on the road. The single meanest thing you ever heard of the opposing fans? Uh, I didn't really hear too much. I was too busy responding in kind. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember a national anthem in San Jose, real quiet moment during the anthem. Like somebody yells, Pronger, you suck. Yeah, I have a lot of friends in San Jose, and they, <laughs> uh, they just wanted to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> True or false? Have you ever thought about the possibility of a statue outside the Enterprise Center for Chris Brown? I have not really. It's uh, I, I haven't really thought about that to be honest with you. It's uh, you know I think when those things happen, they, they come naturally. They come of their own free will. I think I'm just uh, excited to have my number retired and and kind of be up there with the other Blues greats of uh, of the years gone by. Finally, when they do retire that jersey, let's say there's a father and a son up in the stands. The son was too young to see you. And the son says, who is that guy, Chris Pronger? What would you want the dad to tell him? Uh, he was a mean SOB, and he left it all on the ice every night.
Thanks for tuning into the Sports Plus podcast this week. Be sure to download and subscribe, as well as rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, everybody.